completely biblical and right. And then there's a lot of talk of struggle and wrestling, and that is right as well. And so you, part of becoming a mature Christian is that you're able to really hold certain things in tension, that you're not really quite sure how they work together, but you know from the Bible and from experience they most certainly do. And so we've been focusing on this area of warfare and struggle, where uh, I'm going to read now from verse 10 of chapter 6, as Paul closes his letter to the Ephesians, and so he starts with, finally, if we could have the, great, here we go, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In all those descriptions there, Paul is talking about demonic spiritual powers. He's not, when he talks about authorities, he's not talking about the government. Um, when that word authorities is used, it can be used either to talk about the government in the Bible or it can be used to talk about spiritual powers. And clearly the context here is spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, thank you for the Bible. Pray as I preach it now that you would own your word and bring it to life in our hearts. Uh, Do amazing and incredible things. I pray for even creative miracles. You would create things that are not yet there through the power of the preached word. I pray that you would reveal and illuminate and uh, bring spiritual understanding everywhere that we lack. We pray, Lord, that you would come and fill us for your glory and for our good. Amen. Amen. Now, we've been looking at this whole idea where Paul goes through the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit. Now, what we said up to this point in the series is we're not focusing too much on the fact that breastplate is linked with righteousness. So somehow righteousness has got something to do with the kind of looking after your heart, because it's the breastplate. We've not gone down that road, the reason being, elsewhere in the Bible it might talk about the breastplate of, the breastplate of faith and love. So in that sense it seems that it's a little bit arbitrary, and yet this phrase, this week's, which is the helmet of salvation, in all the three Bible passages where um, spiritual armour is referred to in depth, that's Isaiah 59, 1 Thessalonians 5, and here it's the helmet of salvation. So because of this link, I'm kind of feeling like, well, look, maybe actually there is something worth saying in regards to how this subject of salvation can mess with our head a bit. Hence the helmet of salvation, to protect us against all the wrong ideas about salvation, all the wrong ideas that are opposed to salvation that Satan would really very, very happily exploit and use to uh, paralyze us, to disorientate us, to intimidate us. So I'm going to be looking at that today, particularly thinking and under, getting a really good understanding of salvation, 
how it works, sorry, yeah, salvation, how it works, and how Satan would want to challenge that. This is really, really important. If you're not a Christian, it's really important because we would say that becoming a Christian is getting saved, so it's helping you figure out, okay, what would it mean to become a Christian? If you are a Christian, it's really important to work out, well, what does the Bible, when it talks of salvation, what's it really saying? It may be a surprise for some of you. Now, the word itself has a very broad meaning. It means things like rescue, deliverance, It means things like safety, defense. It covers all of those themes in this one word. It's a very, very rich word. Um, I want to start by saying, by by proposing that Satan will want to completely undermine this sense as two believers of them being saved, of them being rescued, of them being delivered, of them being kept safe, of them being defended. He will want to undermine that in order to leave you feeling utterly despondent and maybe even bring you to despair where you feel not just that you are not saved but there is no hope for you. It's a very, very common strategy. I want to show you how he does that. Have you ever looked around, Christian, and thought to yourself, they're clearly saved. Look at the way they're worshipping. And that one, man, the way they love the poor. I wonder if I am. Anyone, anyone ever entertained those kinds of thoughts? I have. I do. And I don't know if that makes you feel safe or worried. <laughs> One of your pastors, I, I, would, I would say for me, that can be something of an Achilles heel. Genuinely. There are moments where I think, am I really in? Being honest with you. So I want to look at that and show how we are all in different ways potentially vulnerable and need to really get clear and get straight on these things so that we overcome and win in this great titanic struggle that we have found ourselves a part of. The most important thing to understand about salvation is to do with tenses. In the Bible, salvation is spoken about for Christians in three tenses. The past tense, the present tense and the future tense. Now, what do we tend to do? We tend to talk about it only really in the past tense. So we use phrases like, oh, you're you're Christian, when did you get saved? Oh, I got saved 15 years ago. Oh, when did you get saved? Oh, I got saved then. And we tend to use it only in the past tense, which is not wrong, but it's not complete by any means. We'll look at some scriptures in just a moment. But I want to quickly just unpack why we use it in the past tense and why that's cool. The Bible clearly teaches that for everyone who gets saved, there is a moment where they move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now, if you're brought up in a Christian home, it can happen when you're three or four. You become a Christian, and you know what? When you look back when you're 20, you can think, I can't really remember quite how that happened. But there was a moment where it happened. For others, it's very, very clear. You know, they, I don't know, stumbled into a, a Christian meeting uh, inebriated, heard the gospel, sobered up in the moment, got saved in the moment, walked out a new creation, and everything in between. That's the reality of, of salvation experience. It really does happen in different ways. But, but there is this moment where you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Or different, different images and phrases are used biblically. You came from being an old creation to a new creation. You were a slave, and then you got freed. Um, you know, and... It, Many, many other images are used in this way. 
Now, the best way to understand this moment, I think, is in a book called The Normal Christian Birth, which I think we looked at uh, for a bit, uh, a, few, a few months back. And basically, there are four components, really, that are come together to produce a healthy Christian birth. So, the first is repentance, that you, which means that you turn around. So, you change from going, following your own way, Uh, going for a life of autonomy, whereby kind of you're in the driving seat where you turn away from that and you actually submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. You say, Jesus, I'm going to turn from my sins and and from me being in charge to you being in charge. That's repentance. Not just saying sorry, there's a turning, number one. Number two, faith, where actually you get it. The penny drops. You realize, oh, salvation isn't about me trying to do good. It's not about me trying to make my own way and find my own way through. Oh, it's not about going to church. It's about trusting in Christ. It's about understanding that he alone is my salvation. He's my righteousness, my wisdom, my holiness. He's my substitution. He died in my place. He is my eternal life. His resurrection vouchsafes my resurrection. He's my everything. Okay? It's where you, you get Jesus. You say, oh, I get it now. And so you stop praying things like, um, you know, uh, Lord Jesus, please make me a better person so I can get into heaven. You stop all of that and you say, thank you for Jesus. And you recognise that he, it's a gift. It's a gift. And there's nothing, there's nothing kind of more distasteful than someone treating a gift like it's not a gift. You know, and they try and earn it. No, it's a gift. Okay? Faith. Baptism in water. Third thing. Where all that's happened through repentance and faith in terms of internally, all that God has done and how you've been changed is then vividly and powerfully demonstrated by you being lowered into the waters of baptism and where the Bible says you are buried with Jesus and raised up with him into newness of life. It's a powerful, vivid and vitally important step in coming to Christ. It's part of the initiation. And then the baptism in the Holy Spirit where you are empowered, where the Holy Spirit comes on you and empowers you to live the Christian life. This is the normal Christian birth. Now, I'm not saying that if you haven't had all those four, then you're not saved, you're not born again. But I am saying that if all those four are not in place, much like, much like naturally when a baby does not have a, a, a healthy birth, it can affect the child for the rest of their life. If your birth is not healthy spiritually, it can affect you for the rest of your life. And all of these four things are vitally important as you read through the Bible and must be attended to. So don't, don't settle for the lowest common denominator. Well, can I just have two out of four? That's the, totally the wrong spirit. They are all, God, God calls you into all of these things. And they're part, of, they're part of the salvation package, if you like. Okay? So that's how, that's how you can kind of, okay, this is, I've been saved. Okay, past tense. Then we get the present tense. You see, now, this surprises a lot of people, but actually, I'm being saved today. I'm being, we used to sing a song called, Save Me, Lord. Save me, Lord, in Jesus. Now, some people say, I don't like that song. I say, why not? I'm already saved. No, yeah, but hold on, look. We're going to look at some scriptures in a minute. The Bible teaches I am being rescued from those evil desires within me. I'm being rescued from the world and the devil by Jesus every day. The Bible teaches that. He's delivering me from these corrupt desires that wage war against my soul. Daily, he's at work in me, saving me and rescuing me from those things increasingly. He's defending me from the one who hates me and wants to destroy me. I'm a kept man. The Lord is my keeper. And it's an ongoing experience. Let me just look at a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. It says, The word of the cross is folly 
to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. So this here, 1 Corinthians 1.18, is really teaching us that the message of the cross is continually empowering, rescuing our lives. It's the, to, uh, it's the power of God to us who are being saved. This message is power, the power of Christ in me to live a holy life. Jesus is renewing, restoring, maturing, sanctifying, loving me and us through the word of the cross daily. This death is my life and it's made good into my life every day. 1 Corinthians 15 2, I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So there's a, there's a believed in the past, but there's a being saved there. It's something ongoing about this gospel salvation. That actually, when I pronounce the gospel to you today, you're going to go on being saved by it. It's, it's going to, as you hear this gospel again, the idea is, is that it, it comes and it washes over you and renews you and you feel rescued once again. Now it's really important that in kind of clinging to the importance of that moment, which is really important and that, well, I have been saved and that's all important. But actually, you know what? Don't use that to just truncate or limit all, all the, the richness of salvation, which is an ongoing process. God is at work in you. Christian, God is at work in you. God is rescuing you, constantly renewing, transforming, changing, delivering. It's an active, ongoing thing. How? Through this message, through this gospel. And that's why, actually, it's a bit it's a bit of a secret. I preach the same thing every week. You notice that. It's kind of got different angles on it. It's the gospel. Because uh, that's what the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The salvation is that thing that happens. And if you've never come through, you've never had that going from darkness to light, being saved, then please, today, let's get started. Let's, let's, let's repent. Believe on Jesus. And let's, let's get you back. Come to the beach. We'll baptize you. Yes, yes, yes. For those of you who have been and have had all of that, listen, go on being saved. Let, let the rescuing power of Jesus galvanize you daily through the amazing message of the gospel. You see, as I preach the gospel, you should see Jesus again. Ah, oh, there he is, my righteousness, of course, and delivers you, delivers you from your petty gripes and your silly pride and these things that would want to creep back and kind of keep you contained and immature and small. No, oh, there he is again, look, him who laid down his life for me. How can I do anything but give my life to him? Do you see, you're washed again in the message. That's how it works. It's this ongoing process of salvation. But then there's the future. The Bible talks of salvation in the future tense, if we look at the next slide. You see Matthew 10, 22. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is an important biblical thread that you need to get your head around and understand that there's a day coming, it's the day of salvation. It's the day where we're really going to be saved. Now, I'm not saying we're not saved, but it's going to come into all of its amazing and beautiful fullness. Jesus promises trial and difficulty, but those who endure will be saved. And then Romans 8.23, very interesting. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. Now, hold on a minute. I thought in the very same chapter it says we've received the Spirit of adoption. Here it's talking about it in something I'm waiting eagerly for. What's going on here? Here's what's going on here. 
The spirit of adoption who indwells us now is a down payment. Now in the old days, before we had credit, here's what you'd do. You'd, you'd saw, see something you liked, like a stereo or a tape player, <laughs> a tape recorder. You get really excited about it, because in my day, they were really cool. And you'd say, how much is that, sir? And they'd say, three and six. No, they were, they were, uh, <laughs> that's something like ten, ten, ten pounds. So I only, I only have two pounds. And they'd say, well, give me a two pounds, and it's yours. And then what they would do is they'd put a sticker on it saying Stefan, or normally Stephen, because no one got my name. So they'd write Stephen on it. And then they would they'd put it under the till. And uh, the thing wasn't fully done, but it was kept. No one, was, no one could buy that tape recorder. All right? It was mine. It was like, oh, great. I've just got to save up the eight pounds and go back and get it. Now, in much the same way, the spirit who's been given us as a down payment guarantee in our inheritance. So it's God saying, you're mine. You're mine. And yet our experience of the Spirit and of adoption is so limited compared to what it will be. It's so narrow, it's so, compared to what we will experience, it's almost like I've not been adopted yet. I'm eagerly awaiting my adoption. And it's so important that you get, you understand these tenses as a Christian, otherwise things become very one-dimensional. And in fact, you lose a sense of expectation and hope. You lose a sense of ongoing present-day adventure because you're stuck in this thing of, well, I made the decision. What more does God want? You know, it's like, well, I've done that. I'm going to heaven, got my ticket. It's like, that really isn't the biblical flavor. The biblical flavor is, man, we're following Christ to glory. Yeah? And we're on the edge of our seat waiting his return. Why? Because then even the, the, I, 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 this down payment, which has turned my life upside down, but this down payment will come into the fullness. And I'll experience it. So this is how the Bible refers to these things. And uh, Romans 13, 11. Besides this, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It's an interesting phrase. Your salvation's nearer. But I'm saved. But it's nearer than when you first believed. What is, what, what is he talking about here? When Christ returns, we will be saved in bold, italics, underlined, multicoloured, saved, 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 saved. Fully saved. Completely and utterly rescued. Rescued from our body of sin, so the internal sinful desires that we all live with, and all have the internal sin that we all battle with, that is done away with. And we're given a brand new body, which fits, it's physical body, but it fits the eternal work God has started in our spirit. So it matches going to be exciting. We're going to look at that as we go on today. Now, every element of salvation, past, present and future, will be contested by Satan. Every one. And we'll look at those one by one, then we're done. So firstly, how does he attack the past? How does he attack past salvation? He'll whisper things into your mind like this. What you did back there was a nonsense. That wasn't it. You, you were making it up. Or you had an emotional moment. That wasn't, that wasn't it. Or he would say, if you brought up in a Christian home and you know, it happened when you were three, you say, you can't even remember it. You, that is your salvation. And you can't even remember it. And it can cause you to be terribly worried and anxious. The first response is this. Before you get all spiritual, do what you can practically. So for example, if Satan says, well, you never even got baptised. Say, oh, I'll get baptised then. It's not rocket science. 
Don't start saying, I'm going to fight you. No, actually, he's on good ground there. You didn't. Now get baptized. Jesus tells you to. All right? So, you know, you've got to be straight there, honest with that one. So be practical. And actually, if he points stuff out, you know, we'll, we'll get to that later. But, you know, there is an element of practical, uh, practicality in this. Once you've done all you can, okay, then I want you to just notice some things that should arm you if you're being attacked in this way. Notice number one. Question. When did the 12 disciples get saved? When did they get saved? What, when did Peter get saved? Was it when Jesus used his boat? Let me get to the point, Eugenia. Was it? It's always one. Now, is it, use his boat and then to preach from. Then said, let down your nets. He caught the fish. And then Peter said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. So something's going on there, God's at work there. Was it when Jesus said to, to, to him, leave your nets and follow me? Was it at that point? Was it at that point? Many people would say yes, it was at that point. Or was it Matthew 16, when he says, who am I? And Peter confesses, you're the Christ, son of the living God. He's got it. Was it then? Or was it when Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit? Was it then? Or was it Pentecost, when they were baptized? When did they get saved? It's actually quite hard to figure out, and different theologians argue it in different compelling ways. We don't know. But they did. Hallelujah. (laughs) They did. The end of the race is more important than the start. Am I right? Some of us got off to a tricky start. Fudged it a bit. Messy, whatever. You know, you think, oh, 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 I don't quite know. I don't quite know when I was saved. My mum says, when you were eight, you walked to the front of the church and prayed a prayer. I've got no recollection of that at all. God may well have heard that, I may well have meant it, he may well have honoured it, and then just kept me. As far as I'm concerned, it was when I was 18, when I said, I'm all yours, Jesus. But I spoke in tongues when I was 15. Don't know what to do with that. Don't know what to do with that. It's a messy business. All you can do is cover your bases. Cover any bases you can, and don't worry if it's a bit of a mess at times. I want to say this, and this is really important. The Bible never sends you to your moment of conversion for assurance of salvation. The test is always current fruit. Always. You know a tree by its fruit. The Bible never says, well, okay, let's do, you know, go back to that. What, what happened? Well, you can't be saved. No. No, it never does that. You know a tree by its fruit. That's the biblical emphasis. So that's how to deal with the devil on the past stuff, if you're, if you're getting attacked on that. What about when he comes in the present? Because he gets really nasty. It's stuff like this. Look at your rate of growth. Look. Is that it? You've been saved five years now. Is that it? Or look at how, look at how mature you are in that area. Oh my goodness. Anyone saw you like that? Or... He stumbled again. He stumbled again. Now, what's your defense against that kind of onslaught? First, be practical. If he's pointed something out worth pointing out, thank him and repent. Oh, thank you for pointing that out, devil. Now I can repent of that and, um, and I can grow. Let him fall into his own traps. I'm not suggesting a praise party for saying, do you know what I mean? You know, take it reasonably, but you know, I'm not saying get it, oh, thank you. No. But you know, it's like, well, you've pointed that out. That's really, really helpful. Now, you know, I mean, there's a man called A.W. Tozer, a very wonderful, excellent Christian author, and he wrote a book called I Talk Back to the Devil. 
And the whole gist of it was this, that when Satan's just coming in saying, you're useless, you're unworthy, da 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 he would say, thank, thank you so much for pointing all of that out. You are so, so right. And praise the Lord that it's only the blood of Jesus that makes me righteous. You see, that's how this thing works. Uh, it was Calvin, I think, who said that to, to behold yourself, to get too fixed on, is damnation. To get too into, oh, well, I'm, I'm not quite this, I'm not quite that. The, the Christian life is looking to Jesus. That's how we start, and that is how we carry on. Then recognize that there are seasons in the Christian life, particularly se- seasons of pruning. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and my father's the vine dresser. Any branch of me that bears fruit, the father comes along and he, he prunes it that it may be more fruitful. But that is not, that doesn't happen in a moment. We had this, I don't know, we've got all kinds of herbs, things growing in our, in our garden. Our landlord planted them, I don't know what they are, they've got Latin names. But one of them just went crazy one year. It's like, man, that thing's like huge. So I thought, well, I'm going to just cut it back and got a bit excited and just went and then kept going and kept going. And then I was like, oh, man. Dabs, look, look at this, you know, and uh, just a brown sort of gnarled stump, really. I thought, I've got a bit overexcited there. I um, thought, will anything ever grow again? Well, actually, when people prune back vines, that's exactly how they do it. I mean, this exactly goes right back to the stump. And then the next season, it produces more than ever before. The thing's going crazy again in our gardens. It's incredible. So when Jesus said this, he had this in mind. Now, when you get pruned back, you can suddenly feel like, Man, what's happened to me? I've shrunk in the Lord. It's official, you know. I've lost it. You know, you used to be so intimate with Jesus, and this now I just there's nothing there. You can panic and freak out and stuff. Very often, God's just gone. Man, that is so fruitful. Let's get some more fruit going. That works. So what we got to understand is is that um, Christian growth is not. It doesn't happen in a straight line. As you step back, you say, oh, it's going in the right direction. But actually, there are these seasons of pruning. It's very important that you understand that. Then remember, James, who is probably the harshest writer of the New Testament, says, praise God he says it, we all stumble in many ways. James said it. I mean, you want to dance around the room, don't you? You know, I mean, he's so blunt and he's, the bar is so high, you think, oh man. And then he says, we all stumble in many ways. Praise God. Because you know what I do? I do. I'm, not, I'm really not very impressed <laughs> with myself. But what I have found, thankfully, is that the less impressed with myself I get, the more impressed I get with Jesus. And that's really cool. It's a really great journey to be on, so I would recommend that. What does John say? If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth's not in you. If you're making out you're that Christian with no sin, you're a liar. Now, what, what John isn't saying, because actually he goes on later to say, no one who carries on sin has got eternal life. What's he saying? He's saying this. He's saying, if you still intentionally sin, if you make sin the habit, the practice, the pattern of your life, you can't, you honestly can't say you're a Christian. But every Christian that loves Jesus lives with the sober knowledge and at times heartbreaking experience of internal sinful desires that sometimes just feel like they're going to overcome you. What do we do at that, at that point? Surely I can't be saved, John says. No, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth's not in you. We do. We all have indwelling sin. The Bible talks of one degree of glory to another. There's a maturation process, and it's sometimes pretty undramatic. 
Sometimes it's like, just stick with what you're doing and you'll grow and mature nicely. Just keep on doing your boss. But I want to grow. Yep, keep on doing your boss. Keep getting to work on time. Don't take longer lunch breaks than you're allowed. Just keep honouring the Lord in the workplace. You'll mature. You'll grow. Very practical, this growing in godliness thing. Very, very practical. Sometimes Satan will just wear you down with a sense of, man, it's just tough. He's going for a tough season and he just starts saying, do you know what? Look at all you're putting in. Look at all you're investing and look at what you're getting out. Is this... Does it really tally up? Look at the hours you've spent praying and the answers. Is it, is it? And it can really get into your spirit. It gets into your head. Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. The danger is to faint. The main problem in life is to keep standing. Not be overwhelmed by all these things that come upon us from all directions and make us feel, ah, oh, there's nothing in it. Let yourself go. Go back into the world. Have your enjoyment. Drown your sorrows. What's the point of struggling in this way? What are you getting out of it? Give up the whole thing. That's the temptation that comes in. That's the temptation that comes in. What does the Bible say? We could have them slide up. What do we do when we're in that moment and we're saying, well, actually, yeah, I've sowed and sowed and sowed and, man, well... See what kind of love the Father's given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. (laughs) Because we shall see him as he is. Now this is vital for the landing of this sermon. We're going to be talking about our future hope and our future salvation. Because you can't always battle, attack, around present salvation with present stuff. There's some stuff I've listed, but also you have to come in with the future. Because otherwise, literally, you can get taken out. Listen to Paul in Galatians. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. There's a pressing in. There's a looking. There's a, now listen, you know, if any of you are frustrated, I feel your frustration. If any of you are frustrated with the speed of the advance of the kingdom, I feel it. I'm with you. If any of you, you know, if any of you ever think, Tuesday morning, wake up, pray meeting again, it's not always a case of Tuesday, and then the Luke interview and the food bank thing, it's not always like that, is it? You notice that? Sometimes it's like, right, go again. Go again. The promise is, in due season, we will reap. So you say, right, okay, I'm going, I'm going for that. I'm believing that. I'm believing that. I'm not going to be, I will not, I will not give way to discouragement. I'm going I'm I'm to keep my eyes fixed ahead on me. You see, and Satan will attack the future as well. He'll attack you in your future hope. He'll say things like this. You can walk with God now because, you know, it's just a dim reflection. Oh, you're only seeing him in, in part, but how on earth... Will you be able to stand before God face to face? What will you say? You know what I'll say? Thank you. That's it. I'm just going to say thank you. Because everything I have, I've received as a gift. That's all I'm going to say. I'll let my words be few. Thanks. 
probably say a few other silly things. You know, when you're really nervous and you just start talking, I'll probably do that as well. <laughs> you're amazing, you know. Wow. Yeah. Let's make some tents like Peter did, you know, and camp out here, you know, just crazy stuff. But because it's just like, oh, oh, um, where was I? Satan will say to you, what will your response be when God asks you why you should be let in? Why should I let you in? One word. Jesus. Oh, yeah. won't really be like that. He knows you're in Jesus. He put you in Jesus. So it won't be an angry thing. But you know, that's the feeling. How would I? Jesus. Because Jesus satisfies the wrath of God at sin. Hallelujah. Or, you'll never be able to hold on to the end. You don't know why for a few years, but you're going to blow it big time. You've got years yet. You are going to blow it. You know what you're like. You're crazy. Sooner or later, you're going to just dip and you're not going to come up again. Or stuff like that. What do you say to that? I say to that, the Lord is my keeper. I say he will complete what he has begun. And I'm just hanging on to his ankle. He's getting me there. It's not about my impressiveness. Philippians 1 verse 6, let's look at that. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's coming to completion, but at the day when Jesus Christ returns. I want to end with another quote from Lloyd-Jones. And then a couple more scriptures and then we're done. Listen to this. Has the devil tempted you to give up? Has he tempted you to give up the church and your Christian profession and join the world and its supposed pleasures? Can you not see the subtlety of it all? Can you not see the folly of listening to him? We've never been offered an easy time in this world. Christianity is too honest to do that. It's the politicians and the philosophers who offer such things. Christ has warned us, he that shall endure to the end shall be saved. There shall be wars and rumours of wars. Everything will be against you, and you may well think that you are finally lost and defeated. Lift up your heads. The coming of the Son of Man draws near. Put on the helmet of salvation. You see, when it comes down to it, what really is putting on the helmet of salvation? I think 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 explains it most clearly to us. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Whenever that word is used in the Bible, it's talking about our future hope. It's talking about eternal life. It's talking about our existence with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. It's always future. And so my protection against the onslaughts of Satan are this, that I will be there. That he will, he who has started this will complete it. That he will keep me. That he is able to keep even one like me. That he's greater than my foibles and my funny little things and my waywardness. He will keep me. That is placing on the helmet of salvation. A couple more scriptures and we're done. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For Jesus, it was exactly the same. He met the moment of the cross. He was in agony of soul. 
everything humanly in him, wanted to back off and run away. He said, even prayed, if there's another way, Father, please let this cup be removed from me. He's in distress of soul. He said to his disciples, my soul is grieved to the point of death. He sweated blood, hypertension. I mean, if you think you're in a, you're in a tough spot, he's been there and more. He's in utter agony of soul. How did he get through that? How did he walk through those next 12 hours of hideous, uh, terrible, uh, not just physical agony, but spiritual torment? How did he get through that for the joy set before him? That's how he did it. How did Jesus do it? That's how he did it. He saw beyond it to what had been promised by the Father. He is our model and he is the one we hold up. And this is what it is to live by faith for the joy set before him. He did it. That's the Christian life. I do it for the joy set before me. Now, we actually have it quite easy compared to many believers in the world. But nevertheless, there are most definitely seasons that are tough. Really tough. I know that. And we would have faced that in different ways. It's so key that when we face them, we are energised and empowered by our future hope. It's so important you get it, guys, seriously. In fact, Lloyd-Jones describes our future hope as the mainspring of all Christian activity. Actually, really what gets you moving is that actually you recognise that you're really done in this age and there's nothing here really wins your heart anymore. You've been won by the future hope and being resurrected with Jesus. And actually out of that, it just energises you into serving the Lord Jesus. Absolutely energises you. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The throne is our destiny.